Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 24, reading to you from Joshua chapter 24, starting at verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And we're going to stop there. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit would say, and we'll thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about throwing away your idols. Throwing away your idols. And as we read this first portion of Joshua chapter 24, there's a town that's mentioned there where Israel assembled. In chapter 23, we find that Joshua called the leaders together and he spoke to them. In chapter 24, down the road, at a later period of time, Joshua called the leaders together once again. And he called them together and they met at this place called Shechem. Shechem was an important place in the life of the nation of Israel. And it's not by chance that Joshua assembled the people there for his final address. It was at Shechem that God promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land. And sometimes we wonder, why does the Bible give us all of these names and all of these places? And why does it give us all of these details? Because what we see is we see that there's times and places where God visits again and again. And as we look back into history in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord And he appeared to him. Abram had this experience and God appeared to him at this very place where the people are meeting. And there's something about this historical value in this town of Shechem. At that place at Shechem, God visited him and God appeared to Abram. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, please understand this. At the time, they didn't have any children. At the time, Sarah was barren. At the time, God called him to leave his family, to leave his father's house, to leave his people, and to go somewhere that God did not tell him where to go. He said, come and follow me, and I'm going to bless you. God didn't give him all the details, and that place right there at Shechem is where God, he had this encounter with God. Jacob also had built an altar there at Shechem in Genesis chapter 33, and in Joshua 8... Shechem was the place that the people of Israel had reaffirmed their commitment to God after they come into the promised land and after they begin to drive out and to destroy some of the enemies of God, they recommitted themselves there at Shechem. We find that in this portion of scripture, we're going to find that God gives the people a history lesson. Ask the person, when was the last time you were in history class? Look at the person next to you. Ask them how long it's been since they've been in history class. I hear some people saying, a long time, right? Some of our students are saying, like, last week I was in history class. Well, I'm sure that you've heard this before, but those who don't learn from the past 
are doomed to make the same mistakes. By now, many of you have discovered a lot of things that don't work. Could somebody say amen? You've discovered the things that are going to cause you pain and the things that are going to cause you sorrow and the things that are going to cause you grief. You know, let's smarten up here. There's some a lot of things that we've learned from the past. We know what not to do, right? We know the way not to take. We know the decisions not to make. Why? Because life history has taught us those things. And God gives his people a history lesson. The first thing that he says to them is that God chose Israel. Abram and his family were idolaters. When God appeared to him and called him to leave his country, his people, his father's house, and to follow him to a land that his children would inherit. Abram was not seeking God. That's the crazy thing. Abram was the son of an idolater. He's not seeking God. He's not following after God. But God chose him. God selected him and said, if you'll follow me, I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing. Understand what I'm saying. Abram had done nothing to merit the favor of God. It was God's divine grace and just sheer mercy that was shown to him. Jesus told his disciples that you didn't choose me, but I chose you. So the first thing God says to him is that God chose Israel. The second thing that we find in this scripture, our history lesson, is that God delivered Israel. In verse 5, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, but they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians when you lived in the desert for a long time. A very important part of Israel's history is their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. God sent Joseph ahead to Egypt to preserve the nation during a time of famine. He then sent Moses and Aaron to deliver the nation from bondage. Egypt had been saved from starvation because of the Jews, but instead of being grateful, the rulers of Egypt eventually enslaved the Jews and made their lives and their existence bitter and painful. Pharaoh did not want to let the people go, but God sent the plagues, and he ultimately delivered them, according to Scripture, by his mighty hand. He destroyed Pharaoh and all of his armies, In the Red Sea. And God instructed his people to observe the Passover. Why was that important? Because it was an annual reminder of their redemption from Egyptian bondage. It was the reminder that they had once been slaves in the lands of Egypt, but now they're free. The third part of the history lesson is that God guided Israel. In verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan, and they fought against you. But I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, and the king of Moab prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hands. God brought Israel out of Egypt so that he could take them in so that he could take them into the promised land. 
His goal for them was that they would inherit the promised land. When Balaam tried to curse Israel, God turned that curse into a blessing. And as they followed the Lord, nothing could stand in their way. God says, they tried to curse you and I wouldn't let them. I spun it around and blessed you. Now here's the fourth part of the history lesson. The fourth part of the history lesson is that God gave them the land. And that's in verse 11. Then you crossed the Jordan, you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did, it wasn't just the people of Jericho, as did, and he lists them off, the people who tried to stand against them or who tried to fight against them. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you the land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now I want you to hear this. Now that the history lesson is over, Joshua is going to talk to them about their responsibilities. Now, we live in a world today that everybody wants to talk about rights. Everybody's claiming their rights. Now, here's the thing. If people take care of the responsibilities, the Bible only speaks about rights whenever people are not taking care of their responsibilities. And what we have today and what we have in many churches today is that many people are immature And they want to claim their rights, but few want to take hold of their responsibilities. I say today, why don't we take care of our responsibilities and the rights will be taken care of. If as a church and if as God's people, if we lay hold of what this is my responsibility, we're going to find we have a whole lot better attitude. If we start saying this is my responsibility, we're going to see that things start working a lot better. But what we have many times is immature people who all they want to do is fight for their rights instead of hold on to and grasp a hold of their responsibilities. Let me tell you what you have a right to do. You have a right to grow up and mature. Huh? You have a God-given right to grow in the Lord and become mature so that you are lacking in nothing. You have a right to fear the Lord and to serve him with all of your heart. You have a right to get rid of the idols in your life. That's the rights that you have today in God. You have a right to not be controlled by any idol or any habit or any addiction. Why? Because you choose to follow the Lord with all of your hearts. And listen to what, why did I get that? Listen to what he says in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if the serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua calls the people to renew their covenant. Doing so involves several things. When he calls them again, I want you to establish this covenant. I want you to renew your covenant. And what we find again and again is that men and women in our society and in our world today, we need to continue to renew the covenants that we've made with God. 
It's nice that one generation made a covenant. It's nice that your great-grandma made a covenant. But, you know, you and I need to make sure that the covenant is up to date, that we're keeping our part of the covenant. You know, let me just say this real quick. In our marriages, you know what? If we would keep the covenant, if we would remember the things that we promised on the day we got married, life would be a whole lot better. Our houses would be a lot better. Our children would be a lot more well-adjusted. Things will go a lot better for us. So it's important that you and I remember to renew that covenant. This covenant involves several things. It involved fearing the Lord, serving him, and throwing away their idols. Renewing their covenant involved fearing the Lord, serving him, and throwing away their idols. And Joshua calls the people. He says it's time to make a definite decision. Unfortunately, what we have is we have people who will not act when God calls them to act. They won't make a choice. So when you don't make the choice and you don't make the decision, we think that we're okay. But God calls us to make decisions. He calls us to take a stand. He calls us to action, not just having good feelings or I'll get to that sometime later. We've said to you many times before that delayed obedience is still disobedience. And so Joshua calls them to a point of action. The scripture says this, that the fear of the Lord, they're going to renew their covenant. Once again, it involves fearing the Lord, serving him, and throwing away their idols. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the church today has lost their fear of the Lord. How do I know that many have lost their fear of the Lord? By the way that they live. How do we know that people have lost their fear of the Lord? Just look at their lives. Look how they live. You can't tell me they're afraid of the Lord. You can't tell me that they have a reverence and an awe for God when you look at people's lifestyle. The second way I know that people have lost their fear of the Lord, by the way you allow your kids to act. If you had any fear of the Lord, you'd intervene in their lives. If parents really believed, if they really had a reverence and awe for God, They would intervene in the lives of their children, and they would not allow whatever happens to happen to them. If you really believe that there are... Most people in churches, on a survey that you believe in heaven and hell, and that you believe that Jesus is the only way, and you can check all the right boxes and all that stuff, but there's many people in churches in America today who do not believe in hell. They don't believe in it. Now, we know that there's a vast majority of churches that say that hell doesn't exist. It's not a reality. There's a lot of preachers who have gotten away from preaching about hell, and people in the church don't believe it. But there's many people who say they believe it mentally, cognitively, but the reality of it is their actions say that they don't believe it, or they, if they really believed in hell, they would be doing something about their kids. If you really thought that your son or your daughter would spend eternity separated from God, You'd be doing something. If your kids stand out playing in the stinking road while tractors and trailers are coming, like, wouldn't you do something? Wouldn't you run out and grab a hold of them and pull them out of there? Wouldn't you scream or try and stop traffic or do something to intervene? How do we know that the church has lost its fear of the Lord? By the lack of faithfulness. People act as if God's commands are optional and he's at the bottom of your priorities. People worry about pleasing themselves. That's number one. We even say it looking out for number one. Worry about pleasing myself. What do I want? Not what does the Lord want. What do I want? What makes me feel good? Well, I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, you know, there's a lot of God's commands that you're not going to feel comfortable with. There's a lot of things that God asks you to do. There's some steps that he asks you to take that are going to feel uncomfortable. 
think it was comfortable for Abram to take Isaac up and lay him on the altar? I wouldn't have felt very comfortable with that. And there's a lot of things that God asks you to put upon the altar and it feels uncomfortable. But we worry about feeling comfortable and making people feel good all the while their lives are being destroyed by the enemy. It's not about your comfort. It's not about me making you feel, oh, let's make them feel good. Yeah, peace, peace. You know, oh, hey guys, just be comforted. Be, feel good. Feel good all the way to destruction. Hey, feel good. Feel good out there playing in the middle of the highway. Hey, are you okay? Is it too hot for you out there in the middle of the turnpike? I know that there's a bunch of 18-wheelers headed this way, but hey, I hope you have a good time out there. Hey, you're looking good. I want you to have on your nicest new sneakers as you're playing out in the middle of the turnpike. That's crazy. It's not about how good you feel. You see, the reality of it is, is as you start seeking the Lord, we get our priorities mixed up. We worry about how people feel. When you start doing the right thing, joy starts coming in your heart. When you start doing the right thing and being obedient, peace comes into your heart. People are looking for something to satisfy them. Rest comes for your soul when you surrender yourself to the will of God. It doesn't come when you get your own way. People are more concerned about pleasing their kids, their wife, what their friends think, what complete strangers think. Well, I don't want to seem weird. I don't want to seem too religious. They're more concerned about what can, I don't want to offend anybody. They're more concerned about offending people than what they are offending God. And by the way, how's that working out for you? Huh? You see some woman who tries to please her husband, not in a biblical way, not honoring him. Some man who tries to please his wife or some parent who wants to coddle their kid. How's that working out? So you go ahead and you do the things that you know God doesn't want you to do to make them happy. How is that working for you? Can I tell you 99.999% of the time what I see, I see it doesn't work very good. It's one of those things that we should have already, from history, we should have already learned our lesson on. Now Joshua told them to throw away their idols. He talked about two different types of idols. They had idols from their forefathers that had been kept hidden away in their tents for years that no one saw. There's some things from our past that we like to hold on to. Granddad had a temper, and grandmom had a temper, and mom and dad had a temper, and I got a temper. Well, friends, you're born again now. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so you act like some crazy nut when you're behind doors. That needs to be put away. Put away whatever belongs to the sinful nature. It's, it's supposed to be crucified. Well, you know, I, I, grandpa taught me how to steal, so I steal. No, man, that, there's some things from your past that people want to keep hidden in their closet somewhere. They want to hold on to it and they want to blame grandpa or great grandma for that. The things from your past, those things are going to come back and bite you. He says these idols from your forefathers, the things that are in our families, we see it again and again and again and again where grandpa did it and grandma did it and dad did it and mom did it, so it must be okay for me. No, those are idols. Those are things that need to be put away. And the second one he talked about is, Some of the people were being lured away after the gods of the pagan Amorites around them. They were the things the world around them that was drawing to them, and they were being enticed. It wasn't something from their history. It was something that was there now that's being introduced to them where they're saying, that looks pretty good. 
I wouldn't mind trying that. I wonder what that would be like. I'd like to experience that. Joshua tells them to take action now. This is not the only time that the people were told to get rid of their idols. It's funny. Generations before, at the same place, at Shechem, this same place, it's not by chance that Joshua called them there. It was God-ordained. It happened to them. They made this commitment at Shechem. God told them the promise at Shechem. If you read the history of it, you would find that Jacob was headed towards Bethel. And Bethel is the house of God. Bethel is the place that he met with God. In his mind, it was the doorway to heaven. Okay? And on his way there, as he starts to head towards Bethel, he tells his family that you need to get rid of the idols that are amongst you. In Genesis chapter 35, then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have and purify yourself and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Now, do you see what happened whenever Jacob and his family got rid of their idols? The fear, the terror of God fell upon the people who were surrounding them so that their enemies left them alone. Their enemies could not stand against them when they got rid of their idols. Let me tell you this, when you still have idols in your home, the enemy's going to kick your butt. He's going to eat you up, he's going to tear you up, and you're going to stand back. I don't know how this keeps happening. But notice that whenever Jacob had his family get rid of the idols, the fear of God struck the people around them, and they could not stand against God's people. Samuel also had the people rid themselves of idols. Here again, I want you to see this principle in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Remember Eli, the priest. Eli, the priest, allowed sin to go on in the house of God. And he didn't have the courage or the confidence to confront it. He confronted it with his sons, but he didn't stop them. He didn't have the courage to take them out. Okay? So Eli confronts his sin. He speaks to it, but he lets his sons, his sons are living in immorality. They're standing out there as people come in to bring their offerings. And they take their offerings from them by force. They say, we don't want the boiled meat. We don't want it boiled. We want the meat that we want. And they were sleeping with the women as they would come to worship. These priests would be having adulterous affairs with these women. And God had it up to here with them. And so as God brings judgment upon the people, remember this, whenever God brought judgment upon Eli's sons, his sons were struck dead. His daughter-in-law gave birth to a child and they named him Ichabod because they said the spirit of the Lord has departed. And may I suggest this, in many places today, if you could see in the spirit, in many homes, in many people's lives, that the Ichabod is written over the doorframe of their lives. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord has departed. God will not, he will not abide, he will not live in a dirty, filthy vessel. He's holy. 
He's just. He's pure. He cannot abide. If you're going to have all the garbage in your life, then he is going to have to pull out. If you determine in your heart that I'm going to have garbage, I'm going to have sin, I'm going to have rebellion and disobedience in my life, and I'm going to choose that, then you choose to allow him to exit from your life. And that's what he said. He says, the spirit of the Lord has departed. And whenever the spirit of the Lord departed, now listen, the Israelites would go and kick everybody's butt when they were following God. But when they rebelled against him, they had no power in their own strength. It wasn't within them that did it. It was the spirit of the Lord. It was their obedience. And they could stand strong because they were strong in the Lord. And what we find here is the Philistines captured the ark. And the Philistines had it for a while, but it didn't work out very good for them. My understanding of it is this. The towns in which had it, the people were attacked with hemorrhoids. That's the honest truth. That's what the commentators and the things say. Just telling you like it is. The people said, we don't want it. We don't want this ark in our town. Because the presence, I'm going to tell you something. The presence of the Lord for some people is life-giving. For some people, it's death. These people, they did not want, they said, get this ark out of here. And for 20 years, the ark stayed at Kareth, Jerem. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 1. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kareth, Jerem. And the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. If you read further in the chapter, you will find that when they get rid of their idols, they were able to defeat the Philistines and to stop them from harassing them. Am I talking to somebody? Did you hear what I said? I said, when they got rid of their idols... They were able to defeat the Philistines and stop them from coming in and wrecking havoc in their lives. They were able to stop them from coming in and stealing away from them. They were able to stop them from being able to torment them. They were able to stop them from coming in and taking away their wives and their children and their families. Am I talking to anybody today? I believe that there's some people, if you don't wake up, brothers and sisters, there are some people, the enemy's been wrecking havoc in your life, and he's going to do even more and even more, and you stand by, and like, I don't know how this happens. Let me tell you how it happens. You let the idols in there, and you lose your power. You let the idols in your life, and you open the door to the enemy to bring his destruction and his havoc. The reason why some lives are so defeated and harassed by the enemy, lacking any source of real spiritual power, is because they refuse. I didn't say they can't. I said they refuse to destroy the idols in their life. Something amazes me. Last week, I asked Ron if I could tell us. Many many of you remember Ron? He gave his life to Jesus about 10 weeks ago. He was baptized up here, and he shared his testimony. Uh, He said 54 years. 54 years he'd been away from God. At 14, he felt God drawing him. He said no. 54 years. 68 years old. Ron's a new Christian. He came to me the other day. He'd been saved for 10 weeks. Is there any babies in here? We had a lot of babies in here a little ago. Uh, Tammy and Frankie's baby's about three months old. Okay? She's three months old. That's what Ron is. In Christ, he's a babe. Okay? He came to me the other week, this past week, and he said, Pastor, he said, I just got to tell you something. 
He said, you know, I was, I was out in my van. He said, I had these tapes, these cassette tapes. And people are like, cassette tapes? What are cassette tapes? He said, I have these cassette tapes in my van. And he said, I had a bunch of them. I said, I just felt like I needed to get rid of them. I said, oh, okay. He said, so I got them. I, I picked them all up. And he said, it was junk. It was like people saying about drinking and people singing about running around with other women and all this junk. He said, I just felt like I needed, I needed to get rid of that. And so I put them in a plastic bag and I wrapped them up and I got a burn barrel at my house. He said, I took them to this burn barrel at my house and I threw them in this burn barrel. He said, then I, I got a, a, a can of diesel fuel and I poured the diesel fuel on it. He said, then I stepped back, took a match and I, I threw it on there. He said, if it was cold, I'd have warmed my hands. He said, Pastor, it felt so good. He said, I don't know why. I said, Ron, let me ask him, Ron, did someone tell you to do that? He said, no. I said, why did you do that? He said, well, I felt like inside that was something I was supposed to do. He said, what I've been listening to, he said, "I've I've been listening to hymns, and I've been listening to gospel music. And he said, when I get in my van, he said, it feels so good. He said, Pastor, I feel so good. I said, Ron, can I tell you that? Well, yeah, yeah, you can tell him. He said, man, I just feel, I can't tell, I don't know why. I said, Ron, did you sure no one told you that you had to get rid of your tapes? Well, no. Well, who do you think told you that? Why do you think you did that? Well, I just kind of felt inside that that's what I was doing. He said, and when I did it, I'm, I really felt good. It feels real good. What does he say? He says that, thank you, precious Jesus, or something like that. It's like, wow, Ron. I said, Ron, did you know that in the Bible it talks about that? In Acts chapter 19, I said, are you sure you didn't read that somewhere? No, pastor, I didn't read it anywhere. Let me, and I, I got my Bible out and I began to look and, and I found it. It says, Acts chapter 19, when, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, the fear of the Lord. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. When they saw the power of God, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 50,000 drachmas. A day's wages, a drachma was a silver coin, equal to a day's wages. So you figure out how much you make. If you make $100 a day, that would be $5 million dollars. In one town, the people brought their junk. They brought the scrolls that were involved in their idolatry, and not witchcraft, witchcraft, and they burned it up. Now, here's the thing that concerns me. You got a baby. Ten weeks. Saved ten weeks. You got a guy who's been saved ten weeks. He's come to ten Sunday morning services. Just started coming to Wednesday night. So it's been about four Wednesday nights, that's 14, okay, 14, 
comes to the men's discipleship thing. Maybe a good five. So he's got 19 times. 19 times hearing the word of the Lord. You got a baby who hears from God and says, hey, there's some stuff in your van. It's not good for you. You need to take it out and burn it. You need to destroy it. Listen to me. He didn't get a dictate from the pastor. He wasn't guilted by somebody. A newborn babe in Christ is able to hear the voice of God, nobody else teaching him, nobody else telling him, but the Spirit telling him, telling him, you got some stuff you need to get rid of, Ron. And when he's done, he said, man, I just feel so good. But unfortunately, can I tell you what the problem is? In many churches today, you got people, you got, well, you got pastors and evangelists and denominational leaders whose lives are so filled with garbage. The reality of it is we need to fear God. There's many churches that are in a backslidden state. How do you know that, brothers and sisters? All you got to do is listen to their doctrine. They don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. There's denominations and churches that say that Jesus is not the only way to be saved. There's denominations that say that the Bible is not the inspired word of God and that Jesus did not live a sinful life on that basis alone. But unfortunately, what we have is we have many people in churches in America today who will say this. They will mentally and cognitively assent. They will give their agreement. Yes, I agree that Jesus is the son of God. And yes, I believe that he died for my sins. But this is what they do. They've been saved for 20 years. And now that they've been saved for 20 years or 30 years, they are mature enough that they can go back and grab a hold of the idols and bring the idols back into their homes. Huh? You got a newborn babe in Christ who God speaks to him by his spirit and says, I want you to destroy those things. And then you got people who are born again, who say they're born again, following Jesus. And they're going back out into the world and bringing those things that God delivered them from back into their lives. Can I tell you why? Let me tell you why. Because they are in a backslidden state. We're talking about moving forward. If you're going to move forward, you're not bringing the idols into your life. You're throwing idols away. If you find a portion of an idol in your life, you destroy it. You get rid of it. You don't allow it in your home. But unfortunately, there's many who call it maturity. This is what they're doing. No, pastor, you're being legalistic. No, pastor, you're out of touch. Well, I want you to know something, brothers. There's so many today who are deceived. They're being deceived by the enemy. Don't you fall into that place. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that Jesus delivered you and he set you free from whatever the junk he brought you out of and now you're mature enough to go back to it? Like, duh, that wrong, don't work. Eh, don't work. When he sets you free, he and the sun sets free is free indeed. He doesn't set you free so you can go back and live in the muck and the mire. The Bible says that when we return to that, it's like a pig going back to its wallow. Huh? That's what we're like. When we've been set free, and the Bible gives us this warning. The Bible says that whenever a house is cleaned, if it's not filled up with something new, something better, the enemy will come back and that person will be set with seven times more demons and the person will be worse off than if he never even heard the word of God. That's why when you see people who, it's like they go off the deep end. That's why. 
Because they've allowed the enemy to come back in after God has delivered them and set them free. They've allowed the enemy to come back into their lives and to destroy. We need to watch out. See, easy to preach hard about somebody else. We need to watch out that we're not the backslider. We need to guard our hearts and say, God, has my heart become calloused and cold? It's easy to pick on certain people and certain things and, and everybody yell and scream. I don't really need you to yell and scream. I need you to obey the word of the Lord. You obey the word of the Lord, that's better than a thousand claps. You obey the word of the Lord, that's the greatest thing that you and I can do is to surrender to the will of God. Now, I want to share this with you. Why do we give you the history lesson? Because we're saying this to you. There was nothing that Israel did that would merit the grace of God. God picked them. Abram was an idolater. He was in the family of an idolater. And God, by his grace, reached down and picked him up out of that. And he said, Abram, if you follow me, I'll bless you. And I'll make you a blessing. And not only will I bless you, I'll bless generations to come. And all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That was his thing. Huh, that sounds like a familiar thing, right? How many of you did God reach down and he picked you up? Not because of anything you'd done. Not because of how great your family was or how righteous you were, but because of his simple divine grace and mercy. He picked a lot of us out out of the muck and the mire and he set our feet upon a rock. The second thing we saw from the history is that God delivered Israel. They were slaves who God set free. I'm talking to some people today who once were bound, but now you're free. You once were in bondage, but Christ came and he delivered you. And it it was not by your works or your abilities. It was by God's divine hand that he delivered you and set you free. We go on from the Israel's history. People tried to curse them, but God turned that curse around and made it a blessing. And the enemies tried to destroy some of you. He's tried to ruin your life. He's brought all kinds of problems and difficulties and trials and tests your way. But you're able, like Joseph, to say, you meant this for evil, but God intended it for good. As you look at your life, you can look back at difficulties and trials and hardships, and you can stand back in those most painful times, and you can say, God was at work in my life. He was moving in my life. He was moving in my spirit. And God gave him the land. And I want you to stop and think about the blessings of the Lord that are surround you. I want you to think about how God has answered your prayers, how God has done so much for you, how he's provided for you and met you again and again. And so for that reason, they were to get rid of their idols. You and I have just as powerful of a reason to rid ourselves of the idols that would stand in our way. Joshua's command to him was this, choose who's going to be your master. For some people, that job has become an idol. It's more important than the things of God. I want to say this, there can be good things that become idols in our lives. Good things. Things that are meant to bless you can become an idol. And anything that takes the place of God, anything that takes priority over him, And anything that would cause your affections to be drawn from him are idols and they need to be removed from your life. For some people, their job has become their idol. Your job's your idol, go ahead and serve it. Go ahead and serve it. Man, you go for it. We'll see how that works. For some people, popularity and the approval of man has become their idol. 
So if popularity and everybody thinking great of you and you being the most important person around your idol, go ahead, see how that works. Others' pride in how you appear has become your idol, so go ahead and serve it. For others' possessions, money, material things have become your idol. How do I know? Because people are choosing those things over God. Pride, possessions, popularity. Go ahead. Make it your master. Pleasure has become the idol for many. People will say, I just want to have a good time. I just want to feel good. And you hear this, God wants me to be happy. No. He wants you to be holy, and then you'll be happy. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be obedient to him, and your heart will be filled with joy. You will find rest for your soul. You will be satisfied. But can I tell you, give you a little hint. You can run all your life trying to be happy, and you will be even more unhappy. You can try all the things that are going to bring you pleasure or fulfillment, and you're going to find that the more you seek after those things, the less of them that you have. How is that possible? The word tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to us as well. I thought there was supposed to be some specific idols in people's lives, and I'm naming them because these will defile many. And there's many kinds of idols, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentments, immorality, perversions. These are the types of idols that people want to hold on to. And but what they don't understand is that that very idol will not just affect them. It'll destroy many people around them, even people who they love and people who they care about. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. People are either going to repent and throw away their idols Option number one, really the only viable option. You can repent and throw away your idols, and God will bless you. You'll inherit the land. He'll drive out your enemies. Or you got option number two. God's going to start bringing the curtains down, and God's going to start exposing people's junk. I believe this is prophetic. You're going to see crazy stuff. The enemy is going to expose crazy stuff in people's lives. And we're going to be like, what? People are going to be embarrassed and they're going to be ashamed. I can tell you how to avoid that. I'd like you to. But you don't have to. Joshua, he's at the end of his life. I imagine Joshua's, he said, I've done everything I know to do to get you to do the right thing. So he comes down to the end and he says, you make up your decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to serve the Lord? Then serve him. If you're not, Just make up your mind. You let lust be your master. You let greed, you let bitterness be your master. Go ahead, serve it. That's what Joshua said to him. You let it be your master. You're going to see crazy stuff. People are going to lose everything. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because God's going to deal with sin in his church. 1 Peter 4.17 says it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You have a choice today. You can walk out of here with all of your stuff and all of your idols and try to keep them intact 
and try to keep all the things spinning. And very quickly, very quickly, you're going to see the house of cards fall. Or you can humble yourself before the Lord and you can rid yourself of the idols and you can find rest for your soul and peace. Now Joshua said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I've already made up my decision. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is what I'd like us to do today. If you got to go, you can go. But if you think, just perchance, there might be one or two, or maybe you got a bunch of them, of idols that are in your family and in your life. You may not even know they're there. You may have forgotten about them. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit will, he'll quicken you so fast, you'll know it, boom, boom, boom. I want to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to ask it if you would, if you want to, you don't have to, if you want to, would you get with the people who are important in your life? If you have a family who's here, if you're a mom and your daughter, a husband and wife, would you get together just for a few minutes and find some place at the altar, in your pew, if you found that there's some, there might be, if you're concerned, you know, there might be some idols in our family. There might be some things in our house that we want to deal with. Can I encourage you, maybe you're a single person and you got a good friend and you want to just take a few moments and pray with them and we want to lay down those idols today and we want to reaffirm our commitment to the Lord. Maybe some of you got grown children and you say, you know what? I'm going after him. I'm going to tell that boy. I'm going to tell that girl. Why? Because I love him, man. And because I believe the fear of God. Now, Lord Jesus, we're serious today about getting rid of the idols in our lives. We realize that you brought us to a point of decision. For me and my house, Lord, we're going to follow you. I don't know what they're going to do, Lord. I know what we're going to do. So I pray, God, that each person will make their decision today. And they would see your hand moving powerfully in their lives in the name of Jesus. Amen.